Here we go. We're cruising through the summer. That means we're getting closer to the Washington NFL football team, but we're going to be talking about that. We have plenty to talk about this week in the WTOP Auto with Chris Gian, who is already ready for training camp as I look at him sleeveless, showing off his guns. If you put me and Dave Preston together, we still couldn't match one of his biceps. Dave Preston's with us. And of course, always smiling is Rob Woodfork. And I think we should be smiling. Our first topic this week is Wes Unsell Jr. Welcome home. Uh, it's a reason to smile, and this was not about having a good press conference and welcoming a, a family name. Uh, I, before, I'll, I'll be the last to speak on this because I've known him since he was Little Wes, and you can get away with calling him uh, Little Wes. It, it's a terrific hire on so many levels. Rob Woodfork, you were smiling first. We'll go to you first. Is Wes Unsell Jr. now in charge of the Wizards? Uh, well, I have two full thoughts on it. I like the hire from the standpoint that uh, people have been saying chapter and verse how he's a terrific defensive coach and how he's so good at developing young talent. And those are two areas in which the Wizards have been deficient for the better part of two decades now. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll leave you guys to discuss that a little bit further. The first thing that I thought of was I didn't realize how long he had been basically earning his dues he's been in the league in uh, as a scout or an assistant coach for the better part of 20 years 24 years yeah well yeah more than more than 20 years so he's more than paid his dues and to and to me it's notable that because he has a legacy name and he had to wait this long to get a head coaching opportunity this just furthers uh you know the notion that that black coaches in this league don't get uh, the same opportunities as some of the white coaches. Now I compared his resume to that of his predecessor, Scott Brooks, Scott Brooks only had to wait eight years out of being a player to get his first head coaching opportunity. So, you know, better late than never. I'm going to give them credit for, um, for making a good hire. It's not just because his name is Wes Unsell that he's getting this job. By all accounts, this is a guy that, uh, you know, everybody in Denver and every other stop that he's been along, they sing his praises. They say that he's everything basically the Wizards need at this particular point in time. So I look forward to seeing if he can, uh, number one, he was very uh, he was very complimentary of Denny Avdia. He was very complimentary of uh, Rui Hachimura. If he can develop those players and also uh, get on the same page with Bradley Beal, and uh, and Russell Westbrook and, and hopefully keep Beal here for the long term. Uh, those are going to be the challenges that await him. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do. We all know that uh, there's only a handful of coaches that can make that can be difference makers in, in the NBA. So if he can be one of those difference making coaches, it could really shift the culture here. You mentioned the, the, the it is significant is this offseason. Seven of the eight coaching hires in the NBA went to black. Uh, coaches now, uh, but I also to the Washington franchise and specifically Abe Paul, and I think it, it, as you mentioned that it's worth mentioning that he hired Casey Jones in 1973. Right. Uh, and, right. and so you needed more yeah, Poland's leading the way and not yeah, you know, yeah, Washington, ones, yeah. Washington is that's never been a problem in Washington, right. but it, it, it has been a problem throughout the league. There have no. been some guys that, you know, and I'm not saying the Scotch Brooks doesn't deserve an opportunity. I'm just saying that the comparatively speaking, in terms of paying dues and, and, and being in the league a long time and coming up the ranks, uh, certainly Wes had to wait a lot longer than Scott did. And, and, and Scott Brooks, there's a case of a guy that deserved that next opportunity uh, based on what he did in Oklahoma City because sure. I, I w witnessed the growth of that program because, sure. you know, uh, Kevin Durant was a not – James Harden was not always James Harden, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, mm -hmm. But there's – I think there's cases where there's coaches getting second and third chances. You're thinking, well – 
you know, that's kind of curious. Maybe they didn't deserve it. We're getting off topic, which we always do when I'm running the show because I've got attention deficit. Dave Preston, Wes Unsell Jr. comes back home. Looking big picture and small picture, we'll go big picture first. Rob brings up some great points. I think there's a bias. Again, there's always been a bias in the NBA and in, in basketball to have a former guard as a head coach as opposed to a big man. You look at Patrick Ewing, who perhaps deserved an opportunity in the NBA. I think there's a bias against big men. I remember when they replaced uh, Doug Collins with Phil Jackson with the Bulls way back when, and it's like, ooh, I don't know about that. He's a forward. Can he actually lead? You know what? Yes, he can. I think there's also a bias against sons and legacies of guys, especially non-players. So I think there was maybe a bit of a reluctance to promote Wes Jr. further along earlier in his career. And I, I think it's a decent hire, just looking at the small picture. I think he needs to come in and make an impact by not only getting the most out of the guys like Rui and uh, Denny, but also being able to work with the framework that is Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal. He has a great opportunity ahead of him. He's got to get these guys to play defense for 48 minutes, and that's going to be the difference. If he can do that, this will be a winning team. Hopefully, you never know. This could be a 50-win regular season team, the likes of which we haven't seen since 1979. This could potentially be a Final Four team when you look at how strong or how weak the Eastern Conference might be this next season. And that's not something that we've had since 1979. So I'm excited about the hire. One never knows, though. One always looks at the glass half full and very often with these new hires. And you look around the league, the glass becomes half empty sooner rather than later. But I'm hoping and I've got my faith in Wes Unsell Jr. I think it's a decent hire for the team and I'm looking forward to next season. And your optimism is not uh, not based with that fact. This is a playoff team he's coming into. Granted, it was, it was a late run, et cetera, et cetera. And if it gets healthier next year, uh, you're not coming into a situation where you're, uh, it's a 10-win team or 20-win team, whatever. All right, Christian, go. You've got, you're, you're without sleeves. I know you're bursting with passion and energy on this. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, when I go head up to Towson, I'll drive by Loyola Blakefield High School where uh, <laughs> our man Wes Sunsell Jr. attended. And uh, he is a local guy, so everybody's been talking about. Um, I think for that, that's very good, knowing connections, being able to, especially in this area, right? Like just growing basketball passion, making this a destination. I remember when Kevin Durant was a free agent and it really wasn't talked about yeah, there was some chatter among us, like, oh, maybe Kevin Durant would come home. But, like, this wasn't a, a destination for an NBA free agent to come. At least it didn't feel like it, one of the hot spots. And I think Unsell Jr. brings that to the table, that a guy who comes in might say, I want to come to Washington and learn how to not only play, because Denver was not only just good defensively. They obviously were good offensively. Um, I think the Met, the number was like fifth in the Western Conference in defensive efficiency and right around the top 10 mark in terms of uh, overall league. So, and, and this guy been personnel scouts since so five. I mean, just been in the game for such a long time. I think there's something to be said about that. I mean, Eric Spolster comes to mind too for the Miami Heat, you know, getting his start in, in the video room and working his way up to becoming head coach. Um, I'm happy. He was the favorite going into it. I was happy that they decided to go this route as opposed to maybe going with a lesser, lesser known guy. Um, the trend these days is really to go like the NBA player who just retires, right? And immediately steps into the role of head coach. We saw that with Chauncey Billups. I mean, I don't know if that's the right move or not, but 
I, I like that Wes has paid his dues and is now getting the opportunity. Well, make no mistake, he's paid his dues because I remember when he would sit and have meals with me at training camp. So he's having meals with me because it's like at Thanksgiving, you would, you would sit, I was at one of the little kids' table. Well, you know, the, 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 he was at that point still a basketball intern or, or scout or what have you. But this is just a, a, a tremendous move by the Washington Wizards franchise. And, and I believe you will see improvement on a defensive end because he does have the ability, it's been proven to connect uh, with players. And, and I think where that comes from is, is that there are no bad coaches in the NBA, everyone's got, you know, the same scouts and the, and the, the, the same schemes or, or variations of the schemes or uh, the ball is still round. The hoop is still 10 feet high. It's it's, they all know it. They all know it. It's, can you get your players uh, to execute it on the floor? And that's what separates uh, coaches and, and turns average coaches into to very successful coaches because they can reach the players, and I don't mean with rah-rah speeches, it's just how you convey the message. And this is where we talked about Wes Unseld paying his dues for 24 years. I really think he had he's 40 years in the making. Imagine this, Wes Unseld going to games with his dad at five. And so at the age of five, he's beginning in a, what a classroom, and you're just a kid in the locker room, and you're, oh, there's Dave Bing over there. Oh, there's Phil Chenier. And, and as he continued to get older, as he shared with me yesterday, he would actually see what his father, who was coaching, this is later on in his career, what he would talk with his staff about, and then actually how they would then deliver that message to the player. And it was often a different conversation because what, what is talked about in one room is, is delivered in another way. So he has this from every angle, from, from the film, from the scouting, and what is he continuing to draw upon from all those car rides home uh, with your dad, who is a Hall of Fame player? Who else of an NBA coach grew up driving to and from games with a Hall of Fame player? I don't know. I don't know if there's a list there, but he, if it's, it's a very small list. Uh, and I think that's significant. And, and also, uh, I, I think that the unsold name does mean something because Wes Unseld Sr. will always be one of the finest human beings I've ever run into. Uh, the stories are true. His rookie year in 1968, they're not making that much money. And he starts adopting families in Baltimore and providing Christmases. And again, he did this up and, and maybe the family is still doing this. I don't know. You won't know because the Unseld way was not, hey, look at me. I'm doing this for the community. I'm doing that. And, and as, as the press conference was going on, on Monday is Wes Unseld Sr.'s wonderful wife, Connie, who is still to this day running the Unseld, Unseld School because of the commitment uh, to education. Another short list, Wes Unseld Jr. has to be on. How many head coaches went to Johns Hopkins? So he excelled in the, the classroom on the, on the court. And like his father, um, I'll say he's one of the finest human beings you're, you're ever going to run into. Because, and I think that's how he can relate uh, to players because Yes, he has the, the knowledge, the, the basketball knowledge and the, the elite basketball knowledge, but it's a family also very in touch with the community and, and helping uh, people not as fortunate as them. And so then you, you understand uh, the personalities you're dealing with are, are different. And that's how you, you, and that's what you, how you manage a successful workplace 
you're dealing with different personalities. So uh, he's, he knows the X's and O's. He, he grew up with his dad, you know, watching in the basement video. He's got all that. I, I have no trouble uh, knowing that he'll be able to execute that. But what really excites me about Wes Unsell Jr. is the person, Wes Unsell Jr., because I believe he knows how to convey a message with conviction, class, and character, which is, which is defined for Wes Unsell Jr. So I think this is going to be a special hire. This, and, and you also, I also believe in, you know, uh, there's something special about this. A year ago, we said goodbye to Wes Unsell Sr., and a year later, he is back in town and, and reunited with his, his family. So that's pretty special as well. So Dave, two, uh, two things on, uh, you know, two more things on West uh, Jr. to cap things up. I think one of the first things that he realized watching games with his dad was, oh, my goodness, there's a septuagenarian playing. And no, that's Tom McMillan. His, his, his hair goes gray naturally. Two, if there has been, I guess, talk about a legacy hire, and if that's the case, so what? Aaron Boone got a job much quicker than he should have as New York Yankees manager. Kyle Shanahan was promoted far above his abilities multiple times in the NFL. So what's fair is fair. If, uh, if certain people can get a legacy hire, there's, after 24 years of working through the system, if this is a legacy hire, so be it. I think he's earned his spot on the Wizards bench as the head coach. Well, as, as Phil Shadir shared with me that, uh, you know, Wes was talking to Phil, Wes Sr. was talking to Phil and, and saying that uh, he's thinking about graduate school, but he might want to give his basketball a try and, and, and I'll help him get started, but I'm not going to give any shortcuts. And as Phil left, he said, I can only imagine Wes Sr. was harder than anything on his, on, a, on his own son. So to get to this point, there were no shortcuts taken by Wes Unsell Jr. It's just a wonderful story. He stayed with it and stay determined, and, and I think it gives us reason to, to root for him. The Nationals, I, I think I'll just start off the conversation that uh, let's just continue to ride the wave and, until it's like musical chairs, until they say stop, because uh, when they lose by three touchdowns or whatever they lost to the other night to the Padres, right out of the All-Star break, I'm thinking, all right, that's it, the, the fun's over. And, and then, you, you know, John Lester the other night pitches seven scoreless innings, uh, because he stopped thinking about pitching. And I've always said thinking gets you in trouble. So he had the all-star break, clear his mind. I think the one thing we take away from this team is no matter who's injured, who's not, you just, the minute you want to count them out, they come back and say, aha, we're still here. Rob? Yeah, and a big reason for that, I feel like I said this maybe last week, uh, they will go as Juan Soto goes. I had a feeling he was going to have a hot streak coming out of the break, and that's exactly what's happened. I'm not going to sit up here and act like I was going to predict uh, 10 hits and five home runs in a four-game span, but uh, you know, this, this is what they need from him. They need him to get hot uh, Schwarber-like, especially while Schwarber is still out of the lineup. So, uh, you know, they got to get the bats going. I mean, it, it was really disheartening to see the Padres hang 40 on them over the course of the three game series, because uh, you know, pitching is supposed to be their forte. That's supposed to be where they excel. And if for any reason that that's going to start falling through, then they're going to be in some real trouble. But uh, you know, the only reason they were even in that game, the great walk-off win on Sunday was because of the bat of Juan Soto. And, uh, and I think he's going to continue on a little bit of a tear here. And, uh, and hopefully it, coincides with uh, the return of Kyle Schwarber. Dave, Dave Preston, who, by the I way, like has the- his Nationals notebook on WTOP.com. That's every Tuesday, right? 
I, it usually drops Monday. Monday morning, but we talk about it until Tuesday or Wednesday, sometimes <laughs> until Friday, depending on what Sully from Southie thinks about his socks, who are rather teetering and it's wicked concerning to him. But I like the play of Alcides Escobar atop the order. It's amazing how Davey Martinez has been able to find back-to-back, maybe unconventional picks for the leadoff spot. And when you've got a guy up there who's, been, who's able to get on base, which they did not have the first couple months of the season without putting Trey Turner in that spot, it gives guys like Trey Turner and Juan Soto guys on the base pass where they can then drive home. They get better pitches if there's somebody on the base pass. That's impressive. But Rob points out that pitching is paramount, and he's absolutely right. I think if you don't get Max Scherzer at maybe 70 to 80% peak performance, which we have had this season at times, you're going to be hurting. If you don't get Steven Strasburg at all, he's thrown just 21 innings so far this season. He threw five last year. That's 26.2 innings, and he's 21% of the way into this seven-year contract. You need more of return on that investment. Patrick Corbin needs to get back to the 2019 Corbin. He's shown little flashes of that this year, but he's shown a lot more flushes, if you know what we mean. Nice to see John Lester pitch well and then hit a home run Monday evening. We, again, we need more of that. And you, the Fetty has been inconsistent. Uh, the Eric Fetty that we've seen, same with Joe Ross. When we get to August, this team needs to be over 500 when they get to August. They're still under 500, and we're almost 60% of the way into the season. That is concerning. They do have four more games uh, from Tuesday on. I, actually, I guess five more games against last-place teams. They need to win four or five of these games against the Marlins and the Orioles to be in good shape because the schedule, even though they're not playing the team from California anymore where they got butchered, 11 losses in 14 games, they need to start winning series consistently get over 500 because the Mets and the Phillies have gotten hot too. Those teams aren't going to stay waiting for the Nats to catch up to them forever. Yeah. And they caught a big break over the weekend because Mm -hmm. the Mets lost that series to the last place pirates. So that was a break that they could not have accounted for. And uh, so they didn't lose any ground in that race uh, uh, to catch the Mets. So they need to take advantage of that with a, a string together some wins here so that they can start to chip away at that six game uh, deficit. Gentlemen, I hate to run the 1215 calls and then Ben and Jerry's will call after. There, there we yeah, go. Get up so that we can see the Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> and by the way, the, the fortunate thing is that six game deficit is through all the craziness of the weekend has stayed basically in that neighborhood it can't get to 10 or 12 and then it, because exactly. you're so far back in the wild card that's uh, that's not worth the discussion i don't think right chris bring it home bring it home on the nat stock the nationals are who we think they are as the late <laughs> dennis green said they lose most of their games to the better teams like san diego and the dodgers and they're beating up on teams like the marlins and um, they had a nice win on sunday and after losing the first game of that um, doubleheader that was, you know, caused by the tragic events of Saturday night. Um, And I wonder, I was working that Saturday night, scary incident, no doubt. You could hear the ringing of the shots in in both the radio and the TV call. And I wonder if that's almost like, I don't know, I'm just speculating, but like a rallying call for this team. Like, you know, this is sad that this is happening in our own stadium. And like, you know, we need to show our community that we're strong so that we have got people that don't feel afraid to come to the games. And there was still a great crowd the next day. I was really impressed to see that too, that our city wasn't shaken, but um, 
just as far as the on-field performance, uh, Scherzer said it after he was selected to the All-Star game in his uh, Zoom presser. He said, we need Steven Strasburg back. I mean, if he comes back, they have that one-two punch. I mean, he had the setback, though, so who knows when he's really coming back. And Patrick Corbin is not an established number two. Now, if this team kind of keeps winning one, losing one, winning one, losing one, what do you do with the trade deadline? I'm sure they're having internal conversations about potentially trading Max Scherzer. He is a free agent after this year. You can get a massive haul for a guy like that. I don't know that they do it. My lean would be no, but um, – if they, you know, they, they have to start stringing together two out of three wins, three out of four, you know, five wins in a row, something like that. But the division is there for the taking. Mets losing DeGrom and Francisco Lindor. And who in this division are you really all that impressed with? I mean, the Braves are having massive issues, too. Division's there. I don't see them being sellers, but it's not out of the question. Final seconds, Rob Woodford. Real quick, you've got your Olympics coming up. We're going to Olympic preview, right? Yeah, this is the uh, yeah this is the third year or the third Olympics in which I've uh, done a series uh, just spotlighting the uh, local athletes uh, privileged enough to go to the games. Uh, I did uh, interview two people. I was able to uh, catch up with uh, actually two people that <laughs> that I got the chance to um, that I got to interview in the past, and uh, and that is uh, Farrah Hall out of uh, Annapolis. She was a um, uh, windsurfer and cat homes in fencing. Uh, we'll have stories on them on WTOP.com and on, uh, and on 103.5 FM. But uh, also, I, we got word today that uh, there are reports that they could pull the plug on the games altogether uh, at the last minute because of the rising uh, rates, uh, COVID uh, rates in Japan. Um, Hopefully that's not the case. Uh, we let's just all get vaccinated, please, so that we can get as close to normal as possible. Uh, it would really be a huge letdown if you postpone this a year, get everybody there because trust and believe the athletes are already in Tokyo right now. Get all the way there, pay all the money you did to train and all of that. And uh, you, you know, for every swimming athlete or basketball athlete, the high-profile athletes that you already know about. Uh, people like Farrah Hall in windsurfing, they have to fundraise in order to get there, in order to compete. So um, that would be a devastating thing for some of those sports that you don't necessarily pay as much attention to. So, Which, by the way, is, is, is most of them Olympic sports? I mean, it, it, yeah, statistically speaking, in terms of the volume of sports, absolutely. And there's a lot of water sports uh, in, in the Washington area far beyond swimming. And those are sort of generated uh, through uh, fundraising and in uh, other sources. So hopefully we are able to get these games off and these athletes don't have to uh, suffer the consequences of, you know, COVID once again, raining on our parade. Yeah. And I think vaccination, obviously a good idea because look, you can't, we've never been able to see COVID and there, and, you know, there's a place like Japan that I remember a year ago, uh, they were actually having games with fans, uh, baseball games, small numbers. I mean, obviously they canceled or postponed the Olympics, but there have been places that seem to be, I don't want to say COVID free, but it was not an issue. And then it becomes an issue. So uh, it's still an issue. The issue is the athletes themselves. It's not even necessarily the rates in Japan, uh, you know, as a country, because, uh, you know, in, in these interviews, uh, speaking with Kat Holmes, for example, um, they're on a military base, a United States military base in Japan. They are completely isolated from the outside world. And so if rates are going up among athletes, 
that's where the problem is uh, is kind of coming into play. So hopefully this doesn't end up being the worst case scenario. We'll keep it positive. We'll keep it positive thoughts. We appreciate everybody watching the WTLP huddle for Christian, who next week will have a complete shirt on. Bob Woodford and Dave Preston. I'm Dave Johnson. Thanks for watching. Great.